Welcome to Data Basic, a Warwick Data Science Society podcast aimed at making data science simple and accessible. Today, we talk to Helena Saren, an engineer turned artist who uses a class of machine learning called Generative Adversarial Networks, GANs or GANs for short, to create her art. Helena has exhibited her artwork all over the world, from Zurich to Dubai to Miami. And in this episode, we have the privilege to talk to her about her experience in marrying technology with art. But first, here is a new segment host, Armand Bouillemont, explaining what GANs actually are. Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the episode. My name is Armand, and today we're going to discuss neural networks and how they are used by the artist to create images. At the most basic level, neural networks are functions. They take in a series of inputs and give a series of outputs. For instance, we can make a neural net which takes in a photo of a dog or a cat as its input and outputs a prediction on which of the two animals it thinks is being portrayed. A more advanced example is a neural net which can predict the age of a person simply from a photo of their face. Neural nets can be trained to do all kinds of weird and wonderful stuff. The key word here is trained. They have to be given a data set from which they can originally learn from. This leads us on to GANs. GAN stands for Generative Adversarial Network, and they are essentially a system of two separate neural nets which interact with one another. One neural network, called the generator, is trained to create images that resemble those of the actual artist. The other neural net, called the critic, is trained to predict whether an image is made by the actual artist or whether it is a fake. Now, the generator will output an image and give it to the critic in the hope of fooling it to pass the image as a genuine image. The critic will then make a prediction and send the prediction back to the generator. Every time the generator fails, it learns and improves its technique. Similarly, the critic also gets better at differentiating between reals and fakes as it is presented with more images. This back and forth motion will continue until the generator creates an image good enough to trick the critic. This image is the output of the system. But how does the critic tell whether the image is a fake or not? The critic is firstly trained using a training dataset. However, computers do not see images the way we do. We look at an image and we recognize a face, eyes, hair, Computers divide images up into smaller parts, called pixels, and they analyze these pixels. After analyzing tens of thousands of images, the critic uses probability to determine if each pixel fits the criteria or not. For example, it will learn the sorts of colors that make up the eye, and how these pixels are positioned to form the eye. Therefore, using probability, the neural net will learn which images are made from the artist. On the other hand, the generator will learn from the predictions of the critic. The generator is given multiple input parameters, such as which colors to use. The generator will then fit a uniform distribution to every single pixel. This means that for every pixel, there is an equal probability that it will be one of the colors from the input. The generator will then create a random image from these distributions and send it to the critic. The critic then gives the generator a probability from 0 to 1, based on how real the image looks. The generator will then use this prediction to learn. Through this iterative process, the generator will eventually create an image which will trick the critic. 
I hope you've all enjoyed this introduction to neural nets and to SANs. Thank you all for listening and see you on the next one. Thank you, Aman, for that wonderful explanation. And now let's head over to a conversation with Helena Saren. Okay, so finally we can start. Great, we're good to go. Okay, so okay. I guess uh, we'll start at the beginning. So firstly, um, what I found uh, very interesting about your personal trajectory is that obviously you didn't start with a kind of a traditional district background, right? So you, you graduated from Moscow University with a degree in in, in civil engineering and, and you worked for companies like Bell Labs and, and Nokia for a really long time. And all through that time, I think um, art was more, more of a hobby, right? Uh, no, it's actually uh, like uh, I moonlighted uh, more than uh, as a hobby, but uh, definitely it couldn't uh, be like a mainstream profession for obvious reasons, because as a high-tech engineer, I made much more money <laughs> so, so so but but i would say it was more than than a hobby um in fact uh, at the few points in my life i really wanted to switch uh, like uh, to to food especially to do the food styling but then uh, like like my colleagues interfered and i stayed and then uh, like five years ago i actually left and uh, started doing like partially consulting and partially like art as uh, like a way of living right but it wasn't until you learned about guns and kind of discovered this type of technology that you like the kind of the two worlds really collided together and kind of art like took center stage in your in your career right yes that's true and uh, only because you see the time was right i would say that uh, like i started uh, i mean ev- everything was just in time because i started posting my um uh, art uh, AI art sketches on Twitter. People started to, to respond positively. I started uh, getting some press, some, some invitation to events, and so so it allowed me kind of like uh, uh, start doing more and more of this uh, like art of this nature for for sale and stuff. Right, right. I, I see. I see. Um... Since since your art is so unique, I'd love I'd love to hear how you how you define your own your own art. You, you see, um, it's a it's a good question, and uh, I I was uh, always thinking about it, and I would say that uh, it's mostly like about experimentation, and uh, Gens gave me the way to do like. Uh, to iterate quicker on this because when you i mean i always like uh, love sketching and this is how you explore the art grows naturally from the sketches and with gans you have like a lot of like uh fertile material to to, to something like bigger than this because uh, like again they are very prolific and you, you have a lot of like interesting stuff that uh, can act as a springboard uh, for more serious work for example, I give you like uh, exact. I mean, some kind of examples. Like with uh, with my background in food, I always was like curious. What happens if you kind of like cross eggplant and like I don't know green pepper? And Gens allowed me to do this kind of like silly stuff with like some really uh, beautiful results. So again, it's 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 sort of like very curiosity driven. 
but also I like like beautiful stuff, rustic, bold. So against uh, based on on the stuff I'm training them on, give me like this opportunity to 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 produce some really kind of like uh, interesting result, but also beautiful results. Right. Okay. Um, what we kind of walk us through your your artistic process. So how do you go from an an initial idea mm-hmm. to all the way to the to the finished product? Um, like uh, it usually stuff uh, starts when uh, I stumble on something interesting. Like for example, uh, we visited friends in California and they have like uh, very beautiful. Uh, flowering uh, pear trees and they had like uh, absolutely stunning foliage leaves. So my friend and I, we spent like few days collecting these leaves and this is how my leaves of manifold uh, series uh, were born. Um, so, so it's always like accidental. You stumble on something uh, that picks up your curiosity and you start working on this. And usually because the cycle kind of like relatively short, you can, uh, with Gans, with like models I'm working, you can get uh, the understanding if it w- would work or not in a day or so after training. So that's why, again, the speed of iterations in, in our kind of like, uh, lifestyle it's something that uh, attracts me to them right okay say. um but also unlike many other ai artists you you kind of focus on on using your your kind of your personal paintings as mm-hmm. as a training data you know as opposed to uh, what a lot of people do which is take you know um kind of public databases of images mm-hmm. and um could you talk firstly about the kind of extra challenges that poses and secondly why do you think those 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 additional obstacles are, are important to go through? So the, the main challenge, of course, it's time that you spent on collecting this data. So like I said, with the leaves, it's like a few days of collecting. Then with leaves, uh, like you, you need to dry them, you, you need to make them flat. And then you spend like several days uh, making photos of them, right? And you, you need like uh, specific lighting. So like putting them in light box, making three pictures one by one. And also like, for example, after I trained them, I noticed that there was some kind of sand uh, left on a, on a, like paper from the leaves because they were collected from the ground. So like definitely this sand stayed on the generated images and sometimes it became, it's sort of like, you you know, um, amplified, got amplified. <laughs> so it's kind of like garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> and, uh, then that's why you, you need like, uh, oftentimes you, you don't even pay attention to this when you start making photos, uh, but uh, Again, for for Gans, uh, like for models, it's part of the whole uh, thing. It's part of the texture. So they will take it and they will reproduce it. They will regenerate them. And uh, with with experience, you start uh, uh, paying attention to this more. But this is like stuff, like one of the challenges. I mean, people uh, might think like, why bother? I go through this if I kind of like go to internet and just like 
collect this data, curate it, and train my networks. But on the other hand, I would say like uh, one of the additional advantages that uh, most of the stuff uh, you uh, scrape from web is like low resolution images. In my case, I get like high res uh, like images that uh, I sort of like can uh, normalize and to make them like perfect upfront for training. So that, that's why, again, and another thing that like uh, for the sake of uniqueness, like we, we, we see how like, especially these days with clip or with big GAN before, everything starts looking the same because you, people using the same tools, the same data sets, definitely mm -hmm. output, yeah. So that that basically the, the reasons I bother to collect my own data. Right. Um, out of out of curiosity, how much how much data? So how many images do you normally need in order to train the model? Um, with augmentation, I would say like between thousand and two thousand is more uh, more than enough. Yeah. Wow. So you really have to make kind of a thousand images. In yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's like, uh, for example, uh, it, it's, I mean, you, you like for, for, for something more diverse, uh, you can, uh, you, you might need even more like Anna Riedler for, for her tulips. I think she collected like 20,000 images. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's labor of love, but you, you see it in the results, like how beautiful and unique you can do this stuff. But, like, again, depending on the game, depending on your goal, I would say, like, 1,000 1, is where you start, basically. Yeah, um, I want to kind of focus on the on the training stage now. So, uh, once you have your drawings, mm -hmm. you know, once you have these thousands upon thousands of drawings. <laughs> um, uh, how, how do you guide your GAN through the kind of through the learning process? You know, how interactive is that stage? Uh, it's mostly about monitoring. I think with uh, like what I call artistic GANs, you might have uh, interesting images uh, right up front. I mean, uh, like what I call the beauty of early iterations. Mm -hmm. So you basically need to, to be to monitor it all the time. That's that's the point because you, the checkpoint uh, might be interesting, like the day one, or the day four. So and you 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 try to capture this moment to to kind of like save this checkpoint. So you can kind of play with it and see if it generates interesting stuff. So mm. yeah, so that that's the thing. You you don't usually kind of you start it and you leave it alone. No, it's not like this. You kind of like look at the dashboard, see what kind of stuff it produces, then uh, start to kind of like maybe set your checkpoints, so like your saving points, like on a more frequent base. And that's the thing because at the end you have like. Uh, megabytes and gigabytes of your checkpoints that uh, basically your main asset. I have like several terabytes uh, worth of uh, the disk uh, space where I have all these checkpoints and uh, like saved. And this is my main, main kind of like uh, uh, asset, I would say. Like th this is my main thing where, where I kind of like uh, get uh, 
build new data sets from this uh, like generated images and stuff for for chaining because i use a lot of like uh, like model chaining where you mm -hmm. train the next, uh, next model on on the results of the previous ones Right. Or you do the inference from the previous models. So that's why this checkpoints is uh, like, again, of very importance for me. Right. Do you have, uh, did you see, I'm curious, it just came to me. Do you, <laughs> do you see that uh, kind of this model chaining tends to create more interesting results? Yes, I, I would say that. Like I, uh, these days, like, and probably for the last year or even like for the last two years, I never use like one model. Like, for example, I train something, I get the results and that's it. That's the final uh, artwork. No, I mean, it's, it's like at least like three, four models chained uh, one after the another. And um, like with inference, uh, I usually go one, I mean, it's like uh, get the results from the first model feed them in the next one, feed them, I mean, get the new results and feed them in, in, in the next model. So that's how you do the uh, inference. But also before this, it's how you train your model. You have like the first model trained on the, the first uh, uh, like batch, then you get the results from, from this first model and you train the next model on, on this, uh, like the results of the first model. So that's uh, that's convoluted, but that's the process. And you you see, and that's why I would say that uh, brings a uniqueness uh, to your art. And that's why I never kind of worried like other artists about being copied and stuff, because uh, like uh, to copy me, you you need to reproduce all this process. I mean, no way. Yeah, right, right. Um, for a more kind of philosophical question, um, uh -huh. I feel like very often uh, kind of artists are, are asked what the nature of, of, of these technologies are, you know, are they, are they tools, are they collaborators, and um, I, think, I think most artists would agree that they are most definitely tools, mm -hmm. um, but what I find, yeah, what I find very, very interesting is that say for example kind of an engineer using kind of computer-aided design mm -hmm. which has an element of dance right i yes. at least not to my knowledge i've never heard of anyone criticizing them or, or really questioning <laughs> who kind of the real creator is right of, of that design um why do you think that is why do you think uh artists kind of are are more criticized for using for exploring technologies like this i i don't know i mean it's just like uh... It, it's maybe fear of novelty mm -hmm. and uh, like uh, the general audience always have like misconception about like uh, artistic tools or innovative methods. Uh, like, I don't know, even if we start from photography, it's always the case. So, mm -hmm. and then it kind of like goes mainstream and people stop questioning this. So I kind of like take it uh, like a natural process of the evolution of this thing. And again, I mean, there is a general audience and then there are kind of like people in the know and with internet and maybe right now with crypto art and NFT, there is much more awareness about like uh, computer made art with uh, about generative art. Yeah, mm -hmm. so, so I think like, like uh, with uh, 
there is a lot of curiosity. And I would say this year is definitely a year of generative art. That's, that's so, really, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I loved, I love the comparison you made with photography because it's true that when photography first started, people did not consider it an art. They thought it was really like you're, you're pointing a machine at something and just clicking like, where's the art in that? And now I think no one would deny that photography is art. So I think it's a, it's a really good point. Yeah. You made that. Yeah. yeah but, but also like, for example, artists, uh, became aware of uh, photography and how they need to deal with like, I don't know, social realism and stuff like this. So, and that's why maybe uh, abstract art was a, a result of this uh, photography uh, be, being part, part of the whole image uh, making uh, field. So that, that's why one of my friends uh, said that like, for example, when the big gen appeared, he said that neural art might become uh, abstract, uh, like uh, because uh, big started doing like really realistic stuff. So and so, so there is always like uh, dependency and influence of uh, like innovation and technological innovation and the art per se. So we kind of like uh, became kind of like influenced or dependent or kind of trying to 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 find new ways to kind of uh, uh, for image making. Yeah, no, but I think that's a really kind of interesting, you know, way of seeing it. How kind of inno innovative ways of 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 creativity can mm -hmm. kind of also influence the more traditional, more oh. you know, state forms of, of art. That's really really interesting. Um, yeah. Um, but what I do think is true, though, is that obviously historically um, artists use their creativity to, to kind of decide exactly what went on the paper. And obviously that's no longer entirely the case, because even though obviously your input data kind of uh, influences the kind of the, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the sort of image guns will, will create, um, you kind of do relinquish control of every single pixel, right? You don't know exactly what will come out at the end of it. Um, so... Where has uh, kind of creativity shifted in that process? Where is creativity centered um, on now? You see, I maybe uh, disagree with you that uh, like traditionally, uh, like artists set uh, to, to, to do something. So, some, yes. I mean, like with social realism, you kind of like do the portrait, you, you know what you're trying to, it's, it's like, yeah, the, the case of like photographic uh, correctness and uh, physical correctness. But in many cases, I would say that uh, artists, uh, like the, the most interesting artists, they might start, start with the idea but then it's sort of like moving the paint around until it kind of like hits you that that's the thing. I mean, it's like, I, I think that's maybe the, the main misconception about how artist mindset works. It might start with the intention, but where your medium takes you, it's like uh, you are not un, under control. And that's why, again, like I, I like to bring two quotes to this, like uh, one of my watercolor teachers uh, said, like, let the medium do it. And uh, yeah, do, don't fight it. I mean, you, you can guide it to, to the extent that it's like similar to Gans. And another kind of like really great uh, quote is uh, from uh, 
Gerkert uh, Richter, who suggested that uh, chance does it better than I can, but I have to prepare the conditions uh, to allow randomness to do its work. And this is like brilliant uh, quote. With the generative art, with normal art, you need to prepare the conditions, but then like again, medium will do its work. And this is like the greatness, like the intuition of great artists. It's like they know how to guide the paint, but it let the paint do its, uh, do its uh, thing and they know how, when to stop. Yeah. So, and there are like a lot of kind of like uh, inspiration that comes uh, from your process uh, that uh, you kind of like set to do something and then it's sort of like uh, hit on you that, oh, I should do something here. And that, that's, again, it's like sort of uh, the process of discoveries uh, as you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's sort of what makes it exciting, isn't it? The, yeah, not knowing yeah. the, the not knowing where you yeah. end up. Yeah, and that, that's where the curation comes in. Because like, for example, uh, with traditional art, we know like um, artists like Francis Bacon, who destroyed a lot of, of his painting uh, because he was working on this gambling on the intuition and uh, he, he was not happy with final results and that's why he destroyed his paintings. So it's the same like, I mean, uh, with Gans it's cheaper probably, but still, I mean, it's uh, like you trained again and at the end you see it kind of like was good intention but the results are not interesting enough. So it's just like, okay, you cut your losses, you move on. But as a follow-up though, I it's true that given, given that you've worked with these networks, both in more scientific and um, mm-hmm. artistic projects, I was curious whether you feel your relationship with Gans differed depending on the type of, of project. Yeah, of course. And I think a, a little bit and... Uh, I see, like to make this, uh, compa- I mean, sort of like uh, putting GANs into two buckets, uh, like one I called uh, research GAN, and the other the type of GANs I call like artistic GANs. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, though both camps are using the same tools, I mean, uh, like same AI models, Mm-hmm. The end goal is different. And so like for, for the research again, the, 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 the main uh, goal is uh, like digital correctness because they need to, to reproduce it like the, the world around, the visual world around us with all the details like as uh, digitally correct as possible. When uh, with artistic games, I would say that it's more like about to finding the essence of the objects there. Um, like uh, for my vegan uh, series, like where I trained the network on um, like uh, lettuce leaves and stuff, my main goal was uh, to see with like new eyes, to, to, to kind of like present something that was like familiar. I mean, you, you take the lettuce in, in your salad plate for granted. So mm-hmm. I wanted to, 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 for you to see it afresh, like, like something unfamiliar. So that's, uh, that's uh, in a nutshell, maybe a purpose of artistic games, like to see with new eyes. Yeah. No, I, I get that. Like with the, with the research gone, kind of your, 
what you want really is is kind of uh, accuracy and authenticity. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. From from an artistic gun, you kind of you kind of hope the machine breaks yeah, down. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, <laughs> interesting kind of um, yeah. results. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, and something kind of like that allows you to, to again to 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 look again and maybe. Whatever you see in Gen images, you would, I mean, you, you see Anna's tulip and then you go back to, to normal tulip and you see it in a different way. Yeah. So maybe that's, that's the purpose to, to kind of like pay attention to the world around us. So mm-hmm. to, to, and maybe as an artist, this is my purpose to open your eyes to, to, to the world you live in. Mm-hmm. That's 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 a lovely that's a lovely way of putting it. Well, thank you so much for your time and for all that great insight into your work. Um, all the links of everything we talked about will be in the in the show notes, so don't worry about that. And also, I'd like to recommend a, um, uh, a kind of article that yeah, you Helena wrote for Super Rare uh, some years ago that really explains uh, with with great detail and really well explained. Um, so how how GANs work and how the whole process works. And so I really recommend that article as well, and that will be also in the show notes. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Anna. It was a pleasure. That's all from us today. I want to give a special thanks to Louisa Love for all her help in putting together this episode. We really couldn't have done it without her. And thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow Data Basic wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss any of the new content. And we'll see you soon in the next one.